One lesson, for example, he told me that he had to leave 10 minutes early and then proceeded to spend the entire 10 minutes unraveling the tortuous logic of how his early departure wasn't actually depriving me of any violin instruction. Tell me, Elif, he shouted, having worked himself up to an almost amazing degree. When you buy a dress, do you buy the dress that is the most beautiful or the dress that is made with the most cloth? Another time, Maxim instructed me to listen to a particular Soviet recording of the Mozart Violin Concerti. Sitting in a wooden library carol, I listened to all five concerti in a row, a fluid, elegant performance, with passages of singing intensity through which one seemed to glimpse the whole cosmic pathos of Mozart's life on earth. But as I listened, I found myself distracted by the CD case, by the slightly blurred three-quarters photograph of the soloist who looked literally indistinguishable from my violin teacher. The stiff posture, the downturned mouth, the intent and melancholy eyebrows, everything was the same. His name was even Maxim, although he had a different surname. The following week, Maxim specifically asked whether I had noticed anything unusual about the violinist. Like what? I asked. Well, let's say his appearance. In Moscow, at the conservatory, people used to say that he and I looked alike, very much alike, more than the brothers. Actually, yeah, I did sort of notice that from the photograph. At this innocuous remark, an expression of gloom descended upon him, as abruptly as if someone had dropped a black cloth over his head. It's nothing, nothing, he said, sounding almost angry. Probably the strangest episode with Maxime involved the yearly juried examinations at the music school. In the weeks before the exams, Maxime was constantly changing his mind about which etudes and scales I should prepare, even telephoning me once in the middle of the night to announce a change in plan. We have to be very well prepared because we do not know who is on this jury, he kept saying. We do not know what they will ask you to play. We can guess, of course but we cannot know. When the day of the juries came, I was called into the examination room with its grand piano and long table, at the head of which, presiding over two more junior faculty members, sat not some unknown judge, but Maxime himself. Hello, Elif, he said pleasantly. Such mystifications can have a very strong effect on young people and this one was compounded by the circumstance that I had just read Eugene Onegin and had been particularly moved by Tatiana's dream, the famous sequence in which Pushkin's heroine finds herself crossing a snowy plain, surrounded by sad murk and pursued by a bear. The bear scoops her up, and Tatiana loses consciousness, waking up as the bear deposits her at the end of a hallway where she hears cries and the clink of glasses, as if at some big funeral. Through a crack in the door, she sees a long table surrounded by reveling monsters, a dancing windmill, a half-crane, a half-cat, presided over, as she realizes with inexplicable horror, by none other than Eugene Onegin. Tatiana's dream is fulfilled in waking life at her name-day party, an ill-fated event during which Onegin, motivated apparently by nothing but boredom, breaks Tatiana's heart and fatally quarrels with his young friend, Lenski. By the time Onegin falls in love with Tatiana, 
Years later in Moscow, it's too late. She still loves him, but is married to an old general. I read Onyegin in Nabokov's English edition and was greatly struck by his note that the language of the dream not only contains echoes of rhythms and terms from Tatiana's experiences earlier in the book, but also foreshadows the future. A certain dreamlike quality is carried on to the name day party and later to the duel. The guests at Tatiana's party and at the balls in Moscow, Nabokov writes, are benightmared and foreshadowed by the fairy tale ghouls and hybrid monsters in her dream. To me, it seemed that the violin jury had also been benightmared and foreshadowed by Tatiana's dream, and that some hidden portent was borne by Maxim's apparition at their head. If this incident didn't immediately send me looking to Maxim's national literature for answers, it was nonetheless at the back of my mind that summer.